0: Greetings everyone, thank you for having me on your podcast again, I'm very happy to be here. My name is Nakaja, I am the Executive Director of the Moores Association, and what we represent is focusing on sustainable innovation, community building, and education.
1: Hello and welcome to Obeheat Podcast. I'm your host, Obeheat Air one 4 and I strongly believe that everyone has a story to share now, let's get started with this episode.
0: Um, Development for African communities around the world. Right now, we've focused and targeted um, Washington, B.C., that urban community, alongside with Abietze and Ghana. And we're looking to expand elsewhere. And that's a little bit about me.
1: All right. So the conversation that we have today actually have to do with, uh, with history and also law. Uh, if you could start with the presentation of, of the, I think it's the research that you have done. Yeah.
0: For sure. Um, before I get started as to the why, I wanted to make a statement of an ancient comedic jurist that made, said this quote. Um, to his audience, to his people, to his members of his community. He said, if the teachers allow themselves to be led toward evil principles, verily the people who understand them not will speak accordingly. And that being said to those who are docile, they will act accordingly. Then all the world considers them as masters and they inspire confidence in the public, but their glory endures not so long as would please them. Take not away a word from the ancient teaching and add not one, but not one thing in place of another. Beware of uncovering the rebellious ideas which arise in you, but teach according to the words of the wise. Attend if you wish to dwell in the mouth of those who shall attend to your words when you have entered upon the office of master, that your words may be upon our lips and that there may be a chair from which to deliver your arguments. This is coming from Patahotep in 2200 BCE. So I'm starting off with a jurist from Africa who had these types of principles and their legal system for the public. Um, it's really interesting because in this quote, he's discussing the idea of not taking away from ancient texts. And we're living in the modern day contemporary times where there has been a distortion and whitewashing of ancient texts all the time. Like it's very pervasive, right? So it's a very intriguing quote to listen to from someone who's so ancient from the past because all of that relates to today. A lot of times people don't wanna think about history but it always comes full circle.
1: All right, thank you so much for that. That's really very interesting. All right, Uh, the first thing I'm going to ask you now uh, is of course going to the basis, uh, which is um, the concept itself of law. Uh, From your understanding, from your research, um, what did you uh, find as what could actually be the the African concept of law?
0: Yeah, from, I feel like, first of all, law, was different in different places but something i found a commonality in when researching legal systems or the concept of law in different african groups was that first of all the people were the law right like they they not only embodied the law but they knew the law they knew their rights at a at a point in time like um this is this would be when africa was more more educated by African principles and African interests, but that's really what the legal system was as far as the community creating it together and holding each other accountable. It's just when things were more communal, right? So now we're getting, now currently we're not in those times anymore, but that's really what the law was. So people knew what they weren't supposed to do, what they could do and if they did do something wrong they knew how to go about it you know they had sometimes they would have to be in front of a, a chief or a queen mother and have the whole public watch or different um witnesses watch and, and they would speak their case and do the punishment whatever the case may be but it, it was more so that people understood what was right and what was wrong in that community
1: all right uh, now, this is going to become very <laughs> because it's beginning to get even more interesting now in that uh, when we look at Africa, of course by Africa I'm looking at uh, what the what the world know of Africa which is the, the writings and the description of Africa from other people which is what many people actually know of Africa. Even some Africa do reference Africa from out of African uh, uh, documentation. Uh, of what Europeans have actually said of Africa. So in this sense, they actually said that Africa have no history. And when we are not talking of law, <laughs> because for law to exist, there has to be a kind of an organized system, uh, if, if, you, if you get what I'm trying to point out there. People usually say that Africa don't have history. What would be your reaction? Because at least since we are dealing with history and also law, I'm trying to understand just your reaction as an African. With that,
0: yeah, I would say that you know, someone making that statement and that assertion, and keep in mind, these were actually quote unquote Caucasian or white intellectuals, quote unquote, right, or scholars, quote unquote, that used to say this, right? Um, I would say that it shows the delusions that we live by, or we, we live by someone else's um imagination, right? We live by this Western white culture imagination that that harms everybody that's involved in it. It harms people that are black, blue, green, yellow, and white. It harms everybody, right? Because what you're doing is, is that you're changing education, you're changing knowledge, you're changing truths into lies, right? And it's being accepted because people don't know any better. But now things are starting to come out and people are a little bit more educated. But this is what's happened, like essentially, like especially when it comes to um, different fields like Egyptology, like that that stuff was created in order to distort history and to whitewash it or even the field of anthropology, right? That was meant to go into indigenous communities around the world and find out what they knew, find out what their history was and then destroy it or take it as their own or use it as a mechanism to control them, right? So these things has happened. Um, But something that's really interesting is, um, it's a book by Chancellor Williams that says, the destruction of a black civilization. And he actually goes over the political theories and principles of ancient African constitutional law. And he recognizes that there was a lot of commonalities within constitutional law across Africa, like there, there was some principles that a lot of people would just live by, right? And in these communities, members had the understanding of what their rights are. And I just wanted to list off a few of those, right? So the first one is, the people are the first and final source of all power. That's a powerful one. The rights of the community of people are and of rights ought to be superior to those of any individual, including presidents, district attorneys, judges, chiefs, kings, etc. The will of the people is the supreme law. Chiefs and kings are under the law, not above it, right? Because there was a belief once that kings and queens, this royalty concept that we have today was meant to only serve the people, right? Like government systems were only meant to serve the people and, and so were kings and queens. So once they did weren't serving the people, they were overthrown they were even killed sometimes right the third one is the government officials of all governments are meant to be leaders for the people not rulers they are meant to execute the will of the people the fourth one is the government and the people are meant to be one and the same another one is the right to a home like the, these are these are ancient customary laws that have always existed but has Left our our thought process as African people, like not only in in the land of Africa because of colonization, but even around the world. Like we're we're right here struggling for the rights to a home, right, or for shelter, for water, for food, for the basic necessities. And there was a legal system that predated all of that, all of what exists today, that says that no, this is the basic need. This is basic. Like everyone should be able to have this, right? I think when talking about Mansa Musa and his quote unquote servants, they always had they always had wealth on them. Like they had gold. They weren't they weren't, you know, servants, slaves, as in they were just poor, broken down. Like, no, that was during a time where people weren't greedy. You know what I mean? So there was enough to share and go around and people could still thrive, essentially.
1: Period. Can we, can we pin a, a time frame to what you are referring to there of this legal system, this constitution, and this commonality that a lot of people uh, live by, like you cited in the book? Do we have maybe like um, a kind of a time frame that we are referencing here?
0: Yeah, this is starting before like all the way, like I said, 2200 BCE. And and that's just where my research went previously. It could go even further than that because there were civilizations that existed beyond that but that's where i had stopped started my um
1: research from
0: the 2200
1: before christ era okay you see in the bible we read that moses brought the law and moses okay i'm not looking at it from the point of view of history but looking at it from the point of view of the bible this is a guy that was born in egypt he actually was a lawbreaker in Egypt because he had broken one of the 42 negative confessions that he might have recited like many other Egyptians at the time. Yet, he went to the mountain and God gave him the Ten Commandments. So, he is coming as the mm. law, as a person who is bringing the law to the people now. I see it was new. Actually, there was nothing new in it. So, what I'm trying to say here now is that, is it possible that this can be maybe... Uh, uh, this has symbolized how the West look at Africa, in that they came, they learned from Africa, they took what they wanted to take, they destroyed the rest, and what they took, they brought it back again as the original, but after they have modified it to suit their interest. Can it be something like that? Because when we are referring to constitution, commonality, the people, the law, we are not looking at. The way that we usually describe Africa as uncivilized, as people who do not know what they were doing. This is a highly civilized society. People who understand law and order and the rest of it. So help me understand that.
0: Oh, exactly. So what what's going on with that is they're trying to. It's psychological warfare that's happened. So they want you, they want us, right, as African people, to believe that we don't come from. Anything where we just have a, a static history, um, stagnant. I'm sorry, and uh, we we're not civilized or all these things. So it's psychologically psychological warfare, and then on top of it, it's almost like projection because of their own history. But um, that's exactly what happened, and and I think the Council of Nicaea is a good reference to look at as to how that happened because the Council of Nicaea is when. Um, you have different religious leaders coming together or people who study different laws that came together to try to find commonality as to how they were going to change ancient texts, like the Bible and um, the Quran and, and all of these different things, right? So um, the Torah, excuse me. So like these things definitely did happen and they didn't want to accredit an African civilization, an ancient African civilization. But a lot of people like Plato, Socrates, um, all of these great intellectuals that Europeans like to you know, boast themselves about all studied in ancient Kemet. So that's where they learned from. And including like you're referencing Moses being in um, Kemet at the time, it would have been Kemet. He learned those things from the the jurists that were there the the teachers that were there and then all of a sudden oh the same laws that were he taught by were in the bible except for they're not negatives anymore and so it's really interesting it's like there's 42 like in the laws of ma'at there's 42 negative confessions versus 10 commandments why is that and a lot the rest of the 32 commandments of, of the confessions negative confessions in my eye like they're very powerful like one of them is I will not waste water wow look at the times that we're in where people we, we need to be innovative as to how we can get communities water creating boreholes or there's droughts in California right now you know what I mean so you get to see how ahead of its time this ancient text was
1: by taking this law away from the people, by taking, okay, not just this law, by taking this history away from the people, making them appear as if they are ignorant, as if I think what the Europeans are doing and what they have done and they continue to do is to cut the African away from their history, to just make uh, a blank space so that there is no connection. You know, when you take electric- electricity, you cut the wire that is connecting it from the source. The part that is remaining is useless because it cannot generate itself. The light needs to come from the generator. And the generator, in this case, is the history, is the source. Because it tells you where your ancestors are coming from, what they have done, how they have done it. What is, you know, history, I I want to repeat again what Dr. Ben was saying, on that history is not just facts and figures. It is deeper than that. Because the Europeans are not making mistakes. They're not doing random things by cutting Africans away from their history. They are doing it deliberately, calculatively. Why do you think they are doing all these ones?
0: Oh, for psychological control of the mind. Like once you're once you're able to make someone believe that they don't come from anything or they're not anything, then you're able to control their direction. You're able to control their actions and lives. Like if you're able to shape someone, it's funny that you asked this because I was just writing about this, but once you're able to control the psyche, you're able to control the ideas that they have, the imaginations they have about themselves or their community. You're able to um, change their tra- trajectory. If you take away their history, if you take away their culture, right? So it's almost like you're creating a, um, a zombie. You're creating you're creating a slave in, in a psychological way. So it's it's very it's very deceptive, but it's a very effective at the same time because they understand the power of the mind. And that's why a lot of times people go into psychology to learn how to. I mean, it can be about self-discovery too, but a lot of times it's about how to control, you know, people and, and situations around you, right? So that that's really what's going on, and and you can see that very well, at least in in America. Like I, I've lived in America for a long time, and I see how them changing the narrative of African people. Um, has shaped our minds. Like instead of instead of some Black people in America view themselves as Black versus African, right? Like they 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 very much so stand by that. And what does that do, right? What does that do to the mind? Well, first of all, Black isn't it. Black isn't an ethnicity. No one's Black. May, maybe if you go to uh, Sudan, you may see with someone as as very very dark that may appear Black, but they're very, very dark brown. No one's Black. What is Black, right? It's, it's ignorant. It's, it doesn't even make sense. But what they're doing is they're ascribing their labels and their titles onto us, and we're accepting it. And then, and then we also try to make it into a positive. But my question is, why not go back to our roots as to who we are and what we actually come from? Some people aren't, aren't, you know, wanting to do that because they see African as a negative, they see what's happened to Africa. And that's because how they portrayed Africa as being. Like, I think that not until now people realize how rich Africa is because of the, the media, how media has portrayed Africa. And then even some people like to say that they're indigenous, but yeah, you can be indigenous and still be African because guess what? Africans were traveling all around the world before anyone else. They were able to travel to the Americas and, and Asia and all these different places. And sometimes they stayed, but that doesn't make them less African, right? So it's, it's really to control people's mind and to control them in a way that they can get the outcome that they're looking for, which is what they've done. So people are only choosing to stay within this white structure in order to be accepted by white society and live this illusion. That's that's metaverse, right? People want to live this illusion.
1: I, I always say something like, um, we, we can go back to our roots and try to understand who we are. And, and of course, you, you see, you are in a in a better position now because you were born in the United States, you grew up there, you understand the reality there. But right now, you are in Africa. You also see what is your so grand. This is your mother continent. No, what I mean by that is that even in Africa, a lot of people are lost. You no, know? even though they are on their land. They look like aliens in their land because they have been subjected to this European indoctrination which continuously go on there. What what I'm thinking about now is that don't we have the possibility to to be able to free ourselves without relying on this indoctrination of the European system, especially looking at all the tools that are available today?
0: Absolutely, but I, you know what? Something that I've thought about is the reason why we don't. And my theory of that is, is that now we've come to a time where, you know, African people are scared to die. Like they're scared of death. Like it's all—it's almost because there's been an adoption of foreign religions that now all of a sudden African people fear death, but that's never been the case before. Like Kimpa Vida, for example, Kimpa Vida was um, basically nearly a martyr and from the Congo because she was someone that you know had a vision and she was telling the people during the time that the portuguese were trying to conquer them that uh Jesus isn't white. Jesus, there's a she was talking of an african messiah like no he's he's dark skinned and you know what they did she was pregnant they hung her and they burned her alive while she was pregnant and she said before she died she said I'll come back. Right? She said I'll come back because african people had that sense of spirituality to know that our, we don't just die and then and then that's it. No, our spirit leans on. Energy cannot be destroyed nor created, so it just lingers. It just recreates later. And then someone came up shortly after that somewhere else saying that she was the descendant of Kempovida or was Kempovida herself. It had remembered that history, right? So um, I think that nowadays there's a fear of death. And when I was in Ghana. You see all the corruption that was going on and I was interviewing different people um, in the land in, in the urban city Accra and a lot of times it was just like oh well, we're a peaceful nation I said well do you think that you have peace if you're struggling to survive is that peaceful to you. Does that seem like peace because you just choose not to address the situation? So there's a distortion of what uh, government systems and legal systems and leaders are supposed to be alongside. And then because the education system has been destroyed and obliterated and then switched out to something else, people don't know any better as to how to challenge the system in an appropriate way for people to advocate for themselves and their own interests and their communal interests. And then now you have the effects of globalization right you have the effects of globalization on these urban areas across the continent of Africa which is causing people to become a little bit more individualistic right and that's changing the culture a bit of Africa right so now it will be a little bit harder for people to want to be more communal and to address corrupt presidents or uh, corrupt government systems because now they're emulating the same corruption that's something I noticed (laughs) and it's, it's a crazy cycle honestly unless we do something about it unless like we start educating people from a young age like it's able to be done if we start we have to be on the ground we have to work with each other we have to see each other as um a unit like not only from africa but africans around the world we have to come together like this has to be this group consciousness that we create like having this type of dialogue how powerful is this and then whoever's going to listen to it right
1: uh, because you, know, you, you, you look at the time of Marcos Garvey, you see the kind of energy that that man invested in the project. This is a guy that was fully sure of what he wanted. Beginning also from that time, looking at also the time that we live in today, I, I don't know if the African diaspora is gage enough to be able to challenge the status quo. Because like you said, you know, we cannot always be afraid of debt. I always say... That you are going to die, there is no way about it. No one is going to make it alive. If you are alive, it means your journey is not yet completed. You are going to die at a point. What are you going to die for? Because what, they, what I think uh, the European politicians do often is that they scare our politicians because most of them that come into the position of authority, they don't really qualify, No. They, they usually have skeleton in their cupboard. Most of them are not really clean as it were, no? Because they are not really representing the people. They are there because they want to serve the interests of some other persons. And for them to be sure that you are serving the interest, it's like you are going to sell your soul somewhere. And you, It is difficult for you to retrieve it back. Whereas you were supposed to make sure that your soul is on the land where you are. They create the confusion so that they can manage the people in the confusion.
0: Yeah, that's exactly That's perfectly said. They create confusion to manage people in confusion because that, that's the only way you can operate in in that this type of chaos is to cause confusion with everybody. And especially in the age of media, like, or age of information, as people like to say, like, it just causes a lot of confusion because so many people are able to have Um, their voices heard in different ways and a lot of times people aren't educated enough to know what they're talking about but they're still talking right so it definitely definitely is and then um, also it's just that the leaders oftentimes or these government systems are agents of colonial powers or neo-colonial powers if you want to say that Um, but they're like they're just agents right they're not agents for africa so they are protecting their people but their people aren't african anymore they may look african but they're, they're that's not their people their people are now white people because that's what he views like leaders i've realized like some african leaders like they view their master still as the white man and that's who they're working for like they're also victims of uh psychological trauma like that that's what they're going through it's almost like a, a mental illness right it's, that's what we need to start <laughs> talking about that we need to start talking about african people not working in their own interest as a mental illness people wanting to leave africa and go work for these white entities versus trying to figure out solutions in their community as a as one is a mental illness, and and that's how it needs to be narrated because it is no other groups of people really do that, but us, you know. So, I think I think changing changing that narrative in a way where people think of it as a disease to want to benefit um, people outside their community or people outside their family would would get people to start thinking and wanting to heal that and change that. So
1: mm mm-hmm. There's another thing I was also reflecting about uh, shortly, which is, if you go around and uh, try to maybe read about Africa, you see, a lot of Europeans have become experts on Africa. In, in Italy, they will be called Mio-Africa, meaning My Africa. So they look at Africa like their own property. And when they do this, they look at it as if it were a plot of land, just a small piece of land, like a very minute village. Why did we give this opportunity to other people to be telling our story instead of us being the one controlling the narration?
0: Yeah, it's it's nonsensical. I'll tell you this. um, In university, you have a lot of... Europeans, people from the UK, Germany—I think I said this previously—that are "quote unquote" experts in Africa or teaching about Africa, or you even have um, diplomats that are meant to go into Africa. And really, uh, the whole diplomat exchange into Africa is—it is not, has nothing to do with Africa. It's, it's really about how can we get what we want out of Africa uh, the best way we can. I actually, I can't say his name, (laughs) but I actually met an ambassador who was teaching on um, African relations. And it was really interesting because he had no concern for Africa at all. His only concern was how can this benefit the United States? How can this turmoil going on in this African country right now benefit the US and its trade and business. And that's the reality. Um, And and you can think of it the same as this African, this white Africanist, right? They're doing the same thing. How can I learn as much as possible about this indigenous culture and let's say Nigeria and then use it for my own benefit? Let me, you know, create a book on it, make profit off of it, tell stories, change stories, distort it, and then you know, basically exploiting our intellectual property, our culture, our history, our languages, and things like that. And the only way to change it is to start encouraging our own people to write their own stories and write their own narratives. And it's not like it hasn't been done, it's just that we haven't, as a people, been pushing it enough or been uh, trying to change the narrative as possible. And like I said, I think that it also has to do with like a disease. Essentially, like um, there used to be a point in time where, like, for example, in America, there used to be a point in time where um, African-Americans were teaching each other because they had to. Right. Because of segregation. And then once integration happened, something switched. Now, African-Americans thought that it would be better for them to learn in white, white schools for some reason. No. That was that wasn't the solution, but that that's what they thought. They thought them being included in the in the system of their oppressor would make things better for some reason.
1: And why would the oppressor give you the kind of education that will liberate you? Has someone thought about that?
0: Exactly, that's the question that should have been asked. But I don't think people. I think people were so excited to just be accepted by their oppressor by their abuser. It's it's literally like. Um, Being in an abusive relationship, like when, when your abuser finally shows you like a little bit of love, then you're happy to be with them again, right? Despite everything that's happened in the past, and that's the situation that we're in now. Um, But we're able to change that. And I think that we're getting there. I think that we are getting there, and we have to keep encouraging that. Like, I know someone in Nigeria currently who encourages Africans in Nigeria to tell their stories via podcasts and to um, write books. Like, they have a whole publishing sector that they're creating um, and just teaching the young people to embrace who they are, embrace what they got going on. And, that, and that's really what we have to do from our own African concept, not from a foreign concept, but our own African concept that's going to push and liberate our own people. Like we have to get back to the roots. We have to get back to our history, essentially.
1: The argument, of course, there are two parts, history and law. Uh, I was looking around just now, just um, making some curiosity, uh, trying to find out what could be maybe the oldest constitution in the world do you know the one that they showed me? The one in, uh, in San Marino. At San Marino, they said is the longest, in the older constitution because the document have been uh, in operation since sixteen hundred. I said, "Wow, this is very interesting." So, in light of this, can you share with me maybe some some old, some ancient treaty that we can reference in Africa, in ancient Africa?
0: Yeah. Wow. Um. I guess they just did not know, right? Um. So yeah, you have. So many different treaties. So one treaty is uh, the treaty between the Mesopotamian cities of Lagash and Uma in 3100 BCE, the treaty between um, the Mesopotamian cities and Supalimia. And treaties entail that they would have to have some form of constitution, but these are just treaties between two different um, leaders in the city to get whatever that they wanted. You also have King of the Hittites and King of Mitanni Shatwasa, 1350 BCE. This is before Christ. And then you have the Treaty of Pharaoh Ramses II with the King of Hittites in Hatsuli III, 1276 BCE. In addition, you also, to get into like the and very ancient um, constitution in the, the Mali Empire or the Charter of Kukan Kuga, Mandim Charter, in 1230-1600 AD, they have one of the world's oldest constitutions. And that predates like 1600 of what he was saying. Um, At this time, the Mali empire would have stretched from the Sahara desert to the West African coast. So that's about 500,000 square miles. Um, And this is during the reign of Mansa Musa. And So this included Senegal, Southern Mauritania, Mali, Northern Burkina Faso, Western Niger, the Gambia, Guinea, Guinea Guinea-Bissau, Cote d'Ivoire, in Northern Ghana, and this constitution was very progressive. It it recognized civil rights and outlaws. It it recognized children's education as a societal responsibility, which is something that we see it has been neglected, and. African countries now, and even in America with with the children there, like it has been neglected, it has been changed in order to control young minds, to only have them believe that they need to, you know, live to get a job. Um, Women's participation in all community management and decision-making processes, you don't see that in Western society until what, the early 1900s, I guess or maybe, no, not even the early 1900s, mid 1900s is where you see white people starting to include the white woman and stuff. But that was something that was existent in African societies already, right? Um, You have consular protection, good faith and fair dealing, the obligation to help the most vulnerable. This is something that's, used to be very, very important in communal societies in different um, African communities, because they believe that if, let's say, for example, there was an older woman and she needed help or she was hungry and you didn't help her, then it it would bring curse onto that village. I don't know if you have any stories or know anything about that.
1: Well, uh, say I have read it from a book, no, but that I have seen in life, absolutely. <laughs> see, yeah, but, because that is, you know, the thing is that I think the, the constitution that you are talking about, most of these things are actually the way of life of the mm-hmm. people across Africa. Of course, I'm not, look, I'm not talking of African cities because African cities are just a replica of European cities. When we say African society or African culture, as it were, that is not really what we are talking about. So in this African culture where I grew or where I live, I can tell you when I was much smaller... I've seen my father go to cultivate his farmland. He will cultivate his uh, his yam, his cassava. In the day of the feast of New Year's festival, there are other people who cannot cultivate. Some of these were not the ones that have children. because if you have children, you cannot cultivate. Your children will be able to provide for you. But there are those who do not have anyone to take care of them. The government is not coming to take care of them it is this individual nobody is telling them hey go and give something to them they know that it is their obligation to take from what they have and give to this individual that have nothing i have witnessed it now i witnessed it from my father giving us uh, two bars of yarn. go and give give to this old woman because she needed so this is to tell you that that constitution is not just in in philosophy is a way of life of the people i have seen it
0: exactly um i guess for the sake of people understanding how these things existed like naturally it was just embedded in in the interactions of african people it's better for people to understand if you say it was law but that's why i was going to the factor of how law was conceptualized with the african people was they were the law right like almost like it, it like because what is law right law is an agreement as to how you're going to interact with other people within your community it's, it's an agreement that everyone has accepted almost it's like a social contract but instead of it being between the ruled and the rulers it's amongst each other as a community so it's almost like we have to look at law differently than what we view it as in the western world which is really interesting but Yeah, so that that one's a really important one. Um, The obligations help the most vulnerable, like I said, property ownership, marriage, legislative representation, dowry, and the return of lost property. The charter also outlawed offending women, violence against women, poor treatment of emissaries, the abuse of servants, infidelity, social betrayal, the keeping of lost property and the humiliation of enemies. So all of these things were existent. Um, Alongside there is an existence of international law, right? Because like I said, there was uh, Africans who were traveling a lot, like they were going to different continents already. Um, And also this is a different timeframe. So we have to remember that over time, um, continents begin to spread apart more and more and more. But um, also you have African groups of people that were known as Moors and oftentimes that was related to the sea because they were able to know specific sea routes. They, they knew how to travel using the stars as a map um, and they were really good at navigation. I think that they re- influenced almost a lot of different, almost every, every single culture as to how to navigate um, across the world. I think some people try to say that there was an ancient kingdom in China that created the first boat, but I don't, from my knowledge, it was was the Moors, the African people, because they were traveling, predating all of that. Like in order for the Chinese to have been Chinese, Africans would have needed to travel to China, essentially. So um, that's really interesting because international law initially emerged as rules of conduct, binding on priority states of the people in international relations, like transactions of trade and marriage and problems with international cooperation in
1: criminal matters such as extradition is it that when europeans started to engage with africans they didn't know of this law they didn't understand it they knew of it they didn't understand it they just say okay it's not there so they have to write out everything does it mean that when they were coming to west africa or coming to other part of africa other than north africa we were just very close to them is it that they didn't understand it, so for this reason they decide to write it off, or they just decide to ignore it?
0: I honestly, that that's a that's a good question. I've read um, a book by Marimba Annie called Yurugu, and she tries to deconstruct like the the philosophy of white people, like like how were they, why were they thinking like this? How did this come about? Um, and it, it's really interesting. Um, it's kind of similar to the Francis Welsing theory uh, as far as them being in a much more colder environment or, you know, colder, cloudy, rainy environment that caused them to have live by this deprivation means versus Africans living in abundance. So they have an abundance mindset. So they don't mind sharing like, Yes they were fighting over time but they didn't recognize that they were fighting an entire system like they they probably were fighting like some soldiers from Germany but when they had people from I'm just giving an example when they had people from let's say Netherlands come in they didn't see them as a threat as well if that makes sense like they didn't see the white man as a threat, because that wasn't their a part of their philosophy. They saw another being, they're like, okay, well, how can I help, how can I feed you? And then that, that kindness was used against them, essentially. Um, and then once they realized it, they did try to fight. But when they saw, I think that we didn't, real African people, our ancestors didn't realize what they were planning until it was too late, essentially. Um, and then also they, they that's why they went through the um, extent that they went through of raping a country of its people. That was, people don't, African people especially, they don't think of it this way because it's not taught to them in this way, but that was catastrophic because they took millions of people from Africa. They took they took people, like some people's family, you know, essentially, and now it's kind of like, I guess, because it's 2022, people kind of forget about that, or it's like, oh, whatever, you know, but they they took a lot of, they t- separated families and dispersed them all across the world, and, and what that did, sometimes they were children, a lot of times they were children, a lot of times they were the strong men, sometimes they were, you know, the women that held certain statuses or, or held certain community standards and wherever they were. And what that did was it it deconstructed the whole system. Like they, if they took, they took teachers, like who's going to teach the children now, right? If they took the, you know, the lawyers or whatever, who's going to, to manage legal system now like that that was a huge shift in africa as that was happening that was happening for a few centuries um and then alongside once they were taking them they were telling them beating them they were torturing them they were raping them they were doing all different types of humiliation tactics for them to uh forget who they were essentially like you know like they they couldn't know their language anymore better not speak your language or you die, right? And then they they would kill a person that spoke their language in front of people. Like this is torment, right? And they would take away their names and then they would belittle them and berate them. And you know what I mean? Like this is, this is crazy stuff that happened to so us over a large period of time. That's why I'm like, there is an existent you know, dis-ease, ease that goes in the minds of Africans because of what happened to our ancestors. And there's epigenetic trauma that exists there. So I think it, it happened over a long period of time to where that's why we are where we are now. But I think that we're in a good opportunity because I think people are starting to, wanting to go back and remember and reclaim their identity and reclaim their history and be like, uh-uh, no, we're not doing this, you know? So I, I think we're starting to change times but it, it's a little bit harder with the technological advancement that's going
1: on absolutely that, that's true that's true but we're going to have to uh, find a way to to come out of this dream this is a dream it is called bad omen a kind of dream mm-hmm. you dream you say no i never want to have that kind of dream again this is a terrible dream <laughs> <So> we, must, <laughs> we must look for a way to get out of this to to wake up from this and, and stand on our feet Another curiosity I'm sort of having is, um, you know, when you say Europe dominate Africa, some individual will think, ah, okay, they just came one day and they took the people. You know, it's not like that. A lot of logistics are evolving in it. Especially maybe when you look at um, Europe that was not even united at the time, no? What, what comes to your mind when you look at the European coming to uh, take the whole of Africa, subdue it under their control? Is it like they organized themselves, they had a meeting, of course, I'm not talking of the Berlin Conference now, because Berlin Conference is something that happened much later. Mm-hmm. So, is it like they organized a meeting in Paris or Europe, they say, let's go and take down this Africa, or is one was having a, a kind of uh, a success, the other one come to join, and they organized themselves. Because, there, I repeat, again, there was no European unity. Just like Africa, Europe was also fighting a lot of terrible war all across, no? Mm-hmm. So, what is your take on that?
0: I think at first it started as a as a misunderstanding. So I'm going to use an example. Let's say that there's a there's a king in in. (laughs) Let's say there's a king in modern day Senegal, for example, king in Senegal, and he's having dialogue with someone in Portugal, the king of Portugal. And, you know, the king of Portugal says, oh, well, we have this these new shiny things like we have these mirrors for example we have mirrors and we want to share them with you the writing letters back and forth and they're like okay yeah well you know what I did just go through this type of like war with a neighboring country and I have some um some people that we have held as captive so if you give me the mirrors you know what I'll send you some some of these captives that I have and, and maybe they can help you with whatever that's going on there. I think it, I'm, I'm giving like a, a, a fake example, but th- I think it was some type of misunderstanding like that. Like a lot of times people say, oh, Africans were the ones that sold slaves. A lot of times they were selling war captives that they had from another part of Africa. One, two, they were, they were not selling them, they were giving them, like sending them off somewhere else and they didn't know that what was going to happen to them like they didn't they have an idea of um, servants like but you don't really call it like quote-unquote servants in Africa like you know sometimes you may hire someone and they're going to clean your house they're going to do all these different things but you don't treat them like a slave you know and like in Africa that exists like there's people that may come in and clean your house, but they don't treat them like a slave. Like they don't treat them even, I, won't, I wanna say they don't even treat them like a servant. It's just like a, a job. It's just something that they do, but um, white people just went to the extreme with it. Like, you know, so maybe they had this type of exchange. Okay, mirrors for war captives. And then once they had them, they started to treat them a certain way immediately. And then the person in Senegal, who sent them, they they didn't know. And I think this started to happen little by little over time. And then you also have another forms of um, manipulation where you even had white people who would be on the coastal regions of Africa and they would pretend to befriend the the Africans and be friends with them and learn what they were about. And sometimes right before they were supposed to go back to whatever European country they come from, they would kidnap. African people, they would trick them and, and kidnap them and bring them to where they're supposed to be. So you have different um, cunning techniques that they did like that, um, all different types of stuff. And all of this is happening little by little over time until it, it just gets it, extreme. Like there, you can actually find documentation. I can't remember, oh, I, it's a Kenya, it's West Africa. I can't remember his name, but there's documentation going back and forth with um, him and someone in the King of Spain at the time. And essentially the people had taken some of the people from this African country and the King included cause they didn't know and they didn't care. They didn't care that he was the King. They still took him and he was on the boat. And the, the King was having to write letters and say, Hey, like you need to take him back. Like this is, you know, outrageous and things like this. And you can see the King is, nearly as a king pleading for his life. And so they finally do take him back, but he didn't do much for the other people on the boat. So it, it was actually um, a crazy situation. Like you, you can find this types of, of documentation going back and forth though. So um, I, think, I think it was in the book by Basil Davidson, who actually is a, a white guy. <laughs> it's,
1: it's, quite, it's, it's quite terrible, this story. It's quite terrible.
0: It is, but, it
1: is quite terrible, yeah. Because, you know, it's not like, it's not like anybody is saying, ah, slavery, uh, the European coming to Africa is not the beginning of slavery. This is something that has been going on for a very long time. It's just that, like you said, the Europeans took it to a different dimension. <laughs> they, t- they took it to a level that nobody have thought of. Maybe this is also what the African need to... Um, uh, understand, need to, um, need to explain evil to themselves. Because up to this point, I usually say this. The conversation around slavery have never really been discussed in detail in Africa because we seem, we seem to think it is not necessary. But it is necessary. If we are going to heal ourselves, we're going to have to look at these deep things. What was our involvement even? Why did we do what we did? Was it out of ignorance? Did we misunderstand the people that we were exchanging goods and people with? I think we need to be sincere with ourselves. All right. Now, coming back to the research and to the story of law, when do you think people can get copies of this to read? Because when you make the reference just now, it was very, very interesting. Somebody might say, okay, I want to... Uh, read some of this uh this constitution this law this ancient law in africa which is contrary to what you regularly find european telling you about african history can you help me with that
0: yeah i think that it um it starts with trying to the information is there i would say it's it can be difficult to find but also sometimes it's like right underneath our 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 noses, like sometimes you just have to dig a little bit. I would personally, I think a really good book is um, The Destruction of Black Civilization by Chancellor Williams. I think that's a really good book that has a lot of records um, dealing with what happened to that that's the title yeah it's the title of the structure of black civilization but he actually goes into detail of um, different ethnic groups that existed in, in different um, constitutions and laws and, and civilizations that existed like the book is very thorough and it's well researched um, personally I, I will put this it's like a study guide of um, references of the research that I've done on history and law in Africa on my website so people can find it there if they are interested uh for the reference list to go to but there's so many different options to get this type of uh information even looking into ancient Kemet that's like the the one that people usually go to but looking into the laws of Ma'at and and where that started from you can start there you can look into the Mandine charter of Mali like their constitution I know that they destroyed a lot of um a lot of centers in Mali though. I actually want to visit Mali because I want to see what what is still preserved but they did destroy like Timbuktu the first school that ever existed right so um but I still think that there's some records you can find on the Malian empire and find the constitution like just looking up these these names and trying to cross reference what you find i think is important and then once you start to dig you'll find like the the reference in the bible that i really like is ask seek knock like once you ask a question you'll surely find the answer that's the beautiful thing about life so
1: that's good that's good i love that now uh, talking of timbu too uh, talking of those books those those one that are still existing do you think those books really does exist there as singular copies or they have been digitized they can be accessible on a kind of digital file because because they are so important to our civilization if the african government have paid money for the digitization of those material it will not be too much that would be, be a bare minimum of conserving our story so the question is whether you think those works have been digitized or they are just there it can, maybe one day the fire will burn we we'll say, ah, there were books here. We don't have that anymore.
0: Yeah, from my knowledge, they destroyed a lot of Timbuktu, but that's first university school. But they may have kept it. Like, I would have to do more research to see if they digitized something. Now I'm curious. Now that's going to be the first thing I do um, after this call. So that's interesting. That's an interesting theory. I would hope that they digitized some of it, but I'm pretty sure the best thing you, that's why I love traveling because the best thing you can do is to actually physically be there because you start to, you get access to information and stuff that you wouldn't otherwise get online. Like online can only help you go so far to be honest, which a lot of people don't realize yet, (laughs) but it's really true. Like um, you, you probably get more actually physically being there and even learning from the people is better, but I'm pretty sure that Hopefully some things are able to be preserved, but I'm pretty sure that if it was preserved, that it's probably just there in Mali, or maybe it's not even in Mali, maybe it's in like some type of other European white museum, honestly, so.
1: That is funny.
0: I'll, I'll research that. That's actually really <laughs> interesting. I want to find out for myself.
1: This is the land that have that been conquered. Made in such a way that the people hate the land, the people hate their language, the people hate to live there. The the people can be can be born there. They want to run away. They want to grow up in another in another land. Hopefully, they want to come and die there one day. Do you sometimes get the the, that Africans sometimes we have become strange?
0: Yeah, I was on. I saw like I saw a post of someone say something similar. Like they they were saying that in Europe. Um, the, the air flight, the air flight tickets are very cheap, but in Africa, they're like way more, which is true, honestly. But someone's response was the problem is being born in Africa. And I was like, yo, like you think the problem is being born in Africa? Do you think globalization, neocolonialism and racial capitalism is the problem? You know, I was like, as our, our frame of thinking is just so impaired because of our, our, our source of education or our source of knowledge and truth. Like, um, it, it is changed, but it just shows you how much, how much we have to do for ourselves to educate the next generation and even each other currently. Like, we have to get better at teaching and learning from each other and teaching each other and learning from each other at a place of truth that Is in the interest of of Africans. Like we have to get there. Like we have to start loving ourselves essentially. Like there's a lot of um, self-hatred because of this how how we've been, you know, traumatized psychologically. Like the visual is very important. So when an African, I guess, is is born in um, a quote unquote. Socioeconomically depraved community, and all they see is dirt roads, then that does something to their psyche when they go online and they see, you know, entire cities being developed. But we have to let them understand what the actual root problem is and how we can identify plausible solutions. And the solutions is with each other. Like, we can't keep having African people anywhere you are in the world work for white power structures. Like we have to start building our own African power structure and work for African power structures. And we have to do what the Chinese did. They started from scratch. In 1999, they had zero, nothing barely, right? And they they built it up to where they are now. So we have to understand that we have to start somewhere and we have to build from, from now on. And we're not starting from zero. We have something. We just need to change our consciousness to get there as a
1: unit. Yesterday, I had a conversation with a health professional, um, professional health expert in Nigeria, in Abuja. So we're looking at some, uh, we're looking at the situation in Kaduna and also in another part of Northern Nigeria where uh, a lot of people suffer in a very terrible way uh, for health uh, issue. Either there is no access to health facility and the facilities that are available are actually uh, deplorable to say the least. So she was really lamenting so much about it. that at the point, I was asking... This, of course, she did make uh, an example of what she did with the people in, in the rural area, Now, um, in that he managed to convince some of them to do contribution where they put some money apart, small, small money, not big amount, because some of, they are really rich, but they don't know that they are rich. That is where I'm going, but let me go like this. So he, he managed to tell them that Okay, you can be putting like uh, 50 Naira every, uh, every day together uh, in, a, in a small meeting and they did it. Because at first they said they don't have money, but when she managed to convince them, they eventually do it. Later, after uh, some, 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 some time have passed, I don't know how many months have passed, they could see that they managed to realize thousands of, of naira from it and they found, they found it very interesting for themselves. So when we were talking about this health issue that a lot of villages do not have access to health care, I was saying, but these people are they lame, are they, are they crippled, they are human beings. their land is fertile, they are energetic. this land has always been faithful. The African land has always been faithful, in that if you cultivate it, you put something on it, it will grow. How come so people cannot organize themselves to? Uh, provide health care for the, for the women so that uh, they don't keep dying for, child, for child-bearing. Then, of course, we go a long way in that uh, conversation. What I'm, why I'm bringing this issue out is that even me, myself, I'll be very vocal in complaining about uh, the government, the Nigeria government in this case, which of course is true. The government have a lot to do that it has not done, but the government cannot do everything. I think the people have power. But sometimes we don't know that we have power because even if you are living in the rural area there are still a lot of things that you can do and you will be happy you don't need to go anywhere you can really live comfortably of course you are not going to buy uh mercedes or you are not going to buy maserati in the village but you will live a quality life so what is your own take or the fact that we, as a people—I mean, ordinary people—now focusing their attention on ourselves. What do you? What is your take that if we focus the attention on ourselves, we can actually find the solution that we are looking for?
0: Yeah, I, I think that's honestly the answer. And doing things like, like uh, almost, almost sounds like uh, the person you interviewed was doing a, a susu, and that's that's a a simple solution that communities could start doing. And I don't I don't see why it's not something that they thought of. But honestly, I do know because when talking to people, they have said like, oh, like when I was in Ghana, for example, they were like, oh, you can't trust Ghanaians. Like <laughs> you have Ghanaians saying that you can't trust Ghanaians. They'll trust an outsider like me um, coming in, but you know, they won't trust each other who they, you know, grew up with essentially. And I think that's a part of the, the problem. Um, so, yeah, we have to start looking within and helping each other and, and start bearing trust with each other again. And, and maybe um, try, starting to go back to our morals and principles that we once had, because I feel like at least in like urban communities that it's a um, it's starting to change a little bit. Like our morals and values are starting to resemble the corrupt leaders we don't like, essentially, because people are just trying to survive now. They're like, you know what? I'm tired of waiting so i'm gonna skim off my neighbor like the president does so i think that's also an issue um and then for the for the person that was doing the medical care treatment did they why weren't they just growing natural foods or herbs or things that could help them versus trying to get a facility or was that would that not have worked
1: yeah some of them actually do but the question is that anyway that was the argument i didn't uh, want to um Elaborate much with her yesterday, you know, that we are going to divert the attention because we are actually looking at the universal healthcare in Nigeria, which was supposed to be something that was supposed to be provided by the Nigerian government. Okay. Then, of okay. course, she did make mention of the fact that uh, some of the women only apply uh, traditional medicine, and there is a lot of fat- uh, fatality in it; a lot of people died in it. And of course uh, if i were talking to an expert because she's not an expert in that area she could of course respond to some of the things i wanted to ask because this is also some an argument that i will uh, dealing with uh, with some people uh, both uh, physicians uh, people who actually are passionate of african traditional medicine because those medicines have been keeping us alive for thousands of years if we apply them wrongly there are serious consequences so we need to understand what we are doing What do you think we could do in terms of restoring the history now? I I know that, uh, of course, what we are doing here is also part of that, no, is that let's talk about us. History actually starts from the people. It is the people that make history. It is not a philosophy. It is not something that came from somewhere. It is our life, our experience. Uh, 30 years from now, 300 years from now, what you and I are talking today will become history because people will be referencing it, will be talking about it. In that sense, the people are the history maker. If that is the case, what do you recommend that we do as a people to to revive our history? Of course, it doesn't mean now that we need to return back and start living the way we lived before in uh, 2,000 years old. uh, But we can take the knowledge from there and bring it to the current time, apply technology and everything, but the way that it reflects us. Help me with that.
0: Um. Yeah, I think the, what we need to do is I encourage everyone to write their own story because if you don't, someone else will, essentially. And if everyone, I feel like everyone has a story. First of all, everyone has a story to tell someone and to share and that someone can learn from. So I do encourage everyone to write their story and to not be scared to share their story because there's someone out there listening or going through a similar thing that will encourage them to share their story. So I, I think that's the most important thing for Africans to realize is that, you know, <laughs> uh, we are we are vital and crucial to our survival and um, local knowledge is important. The local knowledge around you from the elders and and from each other is vital, right? Like we can't keep prioritizing foreign knowledge over our own knowledge and our own intuition. We need more people to study our history, study our, our legal systems prior to what we've been told because the more people that's doing it, the more pervasive and, and diverse that this field will be, become amongst African people. Um, like I said, I, I will post this so it can be available to people but i also encourage people to again start with um chancellor williams the destruction of a black civilization because you'll start to learn um so much of different ancient civilizations that existed and how they were functioning like he does a very good job of, of telling you how well-structured civilizations were um in ancient africa
1: uh, I, I remember i didn't ask you this one what do you intend to do with this research that that you uh, took uh, about history and law in Africa what is your what's your objective
0: my objective is to teach other people like to get people to have access to this type of information um, I'm also working on a, a manuscript right now that I intend on publishing soon um, so my, my goal is to educate the African masses in a way that empowers them and liberates them and and makes them intrigued to ask more questions and inspires them to um, want to do more for their community and for themselves, essentially. So that that was my goal to provoke the minds of Africans to say, hmm, really, you know?
1: What is your real satisfaction that you see the work that you have done I know that in a few years, of course, you will make that publication. But at least uh, get it to where you have got it to here. That is something. So what is your satisfaction? What is encouraging you to continue this project?
0: Oh, I mean, this this is good for my own soul, you know. (laughs) Something (laughs) that I find empowering of myself. And I also feel like it's necessary for other people to have access to this information and I honestly do it for children like I also you know teach young children and I think that it's important for them to have access to this information because of how deceptive the current education system is where I'm from so it's it's important for someone as young as me to be you know, familiar with these types of topics to introduce it to young children, because I feel like, like I said, this type of stuff will inspire children to want to learn more versus some children go to school and they feel uninspired or they feel like, you know, school is not necessary or it's, it's, it's a nuisance or it's obsolete. It's because of what they're teaching in school. So I feel like me, um, me knowing this type of information and sharing this type of information with others is is impactful it's impactful work for me it's empowering for me and i hope it's just as empowering for other people um and yeah i i was taught this from you know previous people and it empowered me to do the work that i'm doing so i'm just trying to pass the torch essentially
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, now looking at uh, the us where you're coming from uh, since you be uh, back on this journey in Africa, have you had uh, the occasion to talk with some, some of your friends, maybe who are staying in US? who, who you have exchanged uh, idea with who might maybe are curious about what is going on around you? Uh, okay, I try to understand what they feel about what you are doing. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, it's interesting because some people some people are interested. Maybe you know may ask questions here and there. But some people are like I feel like in America. People are always so excited. Like people in different places of Africa, or even like in other places around the world, are always so excited to go to America. But what people don't understand is like once you go into America, you're 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 trapped. Like you're trapped in the matrix essentially. So people are always stressed out. They're always like trying to prove something to someone. Um, they're always in competition with other people. So I think honestly, like when you're in America, like people are so busy doing whatever, whatever they think is going to be best for them in their future that they don't they don't really like receive this type of information because people are stuck working for the same machine that oppresses them in America so it just keeps going you know like a lot of my friends are in university and and they're just learning things that's going to help them get a job that they think is going to make them get paid over six figures and you know, whatever the case may be. So they're just the oil to the machine. They just keep chugging, chugging, chugging. So I think it's it's hard for some people to process this type of information when you're also um, aiding and abetting the same system that oppresses you, if that makes sense.
1: For people who want to connect with you, uh, can you share with us, uh, how can they connect with you? Use this second for yourself.
0: Yes, please uh, connect with me via my website. So that's going to be www.more, M-O-O-R, search, searc org. Again, that's going to be www.moresearch.org. Very simple to remember. Um, And then also, if you want to have my social handles, I'm on IG and Twitter as more SERP and yeah so that that's how you can connect with me i'm also on clubhouse so you can find me there as well sometimes me and obehe do clubhouse calls together if you ever want to be engaged in one of our conversations so
1: as a conclusion of this conversation which has been about law and history in africa which have also been about (laughs) revitalizing our ourselves as human beings, because we cannot continue to uh, to pursue uh, the interests of other people is a time we start pursuing also our interests. Uh, what would be your final statement here to conclude the conversation?
0: My final statement to everyone is to seek to know thyself. Never stop searching for the truth within, and never acquiesce. In other words, never, never give in to the enemy. Never give in to your oppressor. Always keep fighting. Liberty or death. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's lovely, Dakasha. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the conversation.
0: Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, make sure you subscribe so you never miss any of our future episodes. rate and review overhead podcast and share with your friends who might need it. I remain Obehe Thank you so much for listening. i talk to you in the next episode.